electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Um, and I wiped out the output of an entire factory for a week. I'm lucky to be employed at Intel sometimes, <laughs> I say. Um, and and um, that sounds amazing. How did you do it? 25 years ago, the man who is now CEO of the world's largest maker of computer chips was an engineer at the company, and he made an error that almost got him fired. But instead of dooming him, his handling of the problem influenced the company culture, helping to birth a system called Copy Exactly that's become a part of its identity. Brian Krasanich went on to make a name for himself as the executive responsible for all of Intel's factories, a job that prepared him to be CEO. I'm your host, John Fort. Welcome to the Fort Knox Podcast, Rich Ideas and Powerful People. Every week, I bring you conversations with extraordinary people with the goal of giving you tips and inspiration to do what you do that much better. And this week, it's a chat with Brian Krasanich, the boss at Intel Corporation. It's a Fortune 100 company with a market value of more than $190 billion at last count. Krasanich, or BK as the troops at Intel call him, is fascinating for a number of reasons. I've covered technology for nearly two decades now, and I can tell you, you won't find a more meticulous company than Intel. Krasanich is about to give you some personal detail on why that is. At the same time, he's a husband and father, and he doesn't try to separate that from his life as an executive. His wife, Brandy, also an engineer, was sitting in the room with us during the chat, and his two daughters figure prominently into how he's learned to see the workplace differently over the last two decades. It's a conversation you won't want to miss, so I'm going to get out of the way. Here's Brian Krasanich. It definitely wasn't a goal for me. I, I never had uh, the dream of being CEO. Um, but you know, my dad, when I was a kid in college, taught me one important lesson. He said, always pick a company. When you take a look at the leaders, they have the same kind of passion or education or interests that you do. So he said, you're going to be an engineer. And this was before I started engineering school and I was <laughs> kind of led to the, you know, that's, that's how my, I was raised. You will be an engineer. But it, it made me look at companies and say, you know, would I ever go to a bank or would I ever go to a company that didn't have engineers as leaders? And as I, as I looked at Intel uh, to come here, I saw some of the best engineers on the world as leaders. And so I've taken that approach throughout my career. I just kept saying, okay, I'm going to be always one of the leading engineers at the company and that will always keep me employed, uh, important or, or, or in the game. Uh, and, and, and that's, I think, eventually what won me the job was I was a good engineer and, and they understood that the company needed to be led by engineering. Now, something you said... That, that your dad was like, you're going to be an engineer, and this was before you had been... How is it that you were raised to be an engineer? You know, my dad, my dad was a, a child of immigrants and, um, you know, worked, uh, went in the Navy and then uh, did night school in order to get his education. 
uh, and became an engineer himself. And, and he did it because he loved it. He, he worked on ham radios. And, and so we always, you know, it was a day when you could fix your own TV with tubes and all that. And so he always just taught me how to fix things and how to do it myself. And so it, it was just ingrained in us from day zero that you will be an engineer. Uh, and because that's what we do in our family. That's, that's how we do. We solve problems. Brothers, sisters? I have one brother. He's not an engineer. He's an electrician, though. Uh, so he kind of went the, the hands-on route. He's fixing things. Yes. Um, and where did you grow up? I grew up in the Bay Area, right in San Jose. So, wow. Uh, so you've seen a big transformation in the area from, you know, uh, from orchards to Silicon Valley. Yeah, I, I remember seven years old, we bought our house. It was all cherry and plum orchards in our backyard. Uh, to, you know, now that's basically the heart of Silicon Valley, right, uh, on Lawrence Expressway. Um, I, I think, you know, the valley's much better off. It's, it's, it's amazing, the innovation and the number of, of people who are coming. You know, I think it's the immigration of people to Silicon Valley that has always driven the innovation in the valley. Whether it's go back to my father's day when it was mostly aerospace, or today when it's moved more towards the cloud and, and cloud infrastructure and all of that, it's still, you know, the people who are coming there because they know that's where the innovation is going to occur. How important was college for you, and do you think it matters for people who are looking at this for themselves or their kids, whether it's an Ivy League school or not? You know, I, I have to tell you no. Um, I did not go to an Ivy League school. Um, Me either. You know, I went to San Jose State. But, you know, I, I, and I've told my daughters this. My, my oldest daughter's about to go into college. It doesn't matter what college you go to. The thing that was great about San Jose State is I got uh, connected with some very good professors. And I, I really got into my work. They had me doing extra work. Uh, I, I did jobs for them uh, on the side doing research. And it was that learning and understanding. When I went into interviews, I could talk about real work that I'd done, not just textbook stuff. And that allowed me to go into those interviews much better prepared and much more confident than many of my peers at the time. Does that affect the way you look at resumes? It does. It, it affects the way I look at resumes. It also affects the way I talk to people and ask questions. I ask real, real simple questions that just tell me, does this person know how to think? Um, and then it's, you know, the other thing I tell my daughters is, you know, I've had to terminate or fire more people for being difficult to work with than being dumb. Huh. And so I also think that, you know, the, one of the most important things you learn in college and right away when you get out of work is how to work in teams, how to work with groups, how to work in diverse uh, organizations where people have different ways of thinking about things. And I really focus that with my daughters, that you have to learn those skills, because without those skills, you won't survive or grow in the company. Now, define difficult to work with, because one of the things Intel, Intel's founders, Andy Grove in particular, yeah, is known for, is not you know, always going along to get along, right? So wh where's the line between um, having a, a challenging culture, pushing people, versus being difficult to work with? Well, um, I think if you don't give people the tools and the expectations for success and, um, and yet hold them to some value, then you're difficult to work with. 
And I think the one thing about Andy was if you listened to him, if you tried to understand him, then you actually understood what the expectations were. And now they may be hard and you may not have been able to do it, but you could at least, uh, you had a chance, right? The difficult bosses or the ones that have been hard for me to work for were ones where I never knew what success meant. And, and they didn't, I think, want you to know what success meant. Um, those are the people who are difficult to work with. They, they wanted to keep the goalposts moving. Yeah, because control, that's a control. I'm in, I'm in charge and, and I'm going to always show you, right? I think a lot of times people, you know, some people would tell you that I'm difficult to work with. But actually, if you just go talk to people, what they'll say is, if you do what you say you're going to do, and if, if you get things done on time, then it's actually pretty easy. I guess you don't get to be CEO by being too easy to work with. I think there is a certain amount of that, yes. If you're not pushing, you have to be pushing people. So you're also a dad. Yes. How do you fit in dad time while running a multi-billion dollar company? Well, see, that's where I think Intel's made it easier in life. You know, the technology that we brought, uh, whether it's the cloud or PCs or your connected uh, phone through the cloud, you know, it, it's, it means more hours in a day, but you can block off time. So, you know, I try and get home uh, by 6 o'clock or so so that I can spend some time, two hours with my daughters, whatever, and then, yeah, I'm back at work at 8 or 9 o'clock, and I may work till 11 or 12, but... You know, I, I've spent some time. Or if my daughter, one of my daughters plays basketball, if, I, if there's a game at 3.30 or 4, uh, I break off and I go. Uh, I go to that game and then I'm back at work. Um, and I can do that in today's world. And I think, I think that's the key is just having those right priorities and, 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 you know, actually getting there and doing them. It's not the amount of time. You don't have to spend 10 hours a day with them. Two hours of quality just really being there for them is, is, is as good as anything. So has Intel's culture always fostered that, or is that something that you've tried to bring or, or push in some way? I'd say that, you know, I'd like to say that I've tried to bring more of a family-oriented um, culture to Intel. I mean, I bring my wife to CES, right? She's here with us today. Hi. Uh, I, I bring her to most events, many of the company events as well, because I want other people to feel comfortable to bring their spouses or significant others uh, to these events as well, because those people are as much a part of our Intel family as, as anybody else that's there. And so, um, you know, I would never critique somebody for going home early in the day to be with their kid, whether it's a doctor's appointment or basketball game or homework. You still got to get your work done. So put in the hours, do it when you need to, uh, and, and just get stuff done and let us know what you can do, what we can do to help you. I think your daughters are going to be engineers. No question. <laughs> There's no question. Uh, my oldest daughter has already uh, finished every math class at the, uh, at the school she's at, every AP. She scored a perfect 800 on the SATs in math. Wow. Um, my younger daughter is already uh, actually trying to beat her older daughter in, uh, in math and physics. So I, I think they're both going to be technically oriented. So, I mean, we talk a lot right now maybe not a lot, we're talking more than we used to about diversity in tech. We're talking about women in tech. Um, a, a lot of voices in the Valley have brought up some of the discrepancies in the way you know, our society treats daughters versus sons when it comes to math and science. What has your approach been as a dad to 
how you deal with math and science with your daughters? Well, um, it's it's been interesting with my my daughters. Um, you know, we've really, I mean, luckily both my, I and my wife are both college educated, both engineering undergraduate degrees. So they see a strong male and female role model around this. So I think they've had a little bit of a different uh, upbringing. But we've really focused on them. And I think today's world is changing, is, is that, you know, for girls, you could actually be better than the boys at math if you really apply yourself. And... Um, and just that don't. Wasn't always the case. Yeah, I think that there were stereotypes in the past, right? Uh, and don't let those stereotypes take you down, right? And I, I've seen my older, my well, actually my younger daughter, probably a little bit more at times, come home and say, "You know, I'm not as smart as David, or I'm not as smart as as Alex." And I'll go, "No, you're just as smart, if not smarter." Don't let him, you know, intimidate you. And and then they'll come home after the test and go, "You know, I did okay relative to him." Uh, so you just have to keep reinforcing that with them, today's world. Have there been times when they've come home and said, repeated to you something that somebody said to them, or something that they noticed that you saw had an impact on uh, how they viewed women in tech, women in math, or got the impression that, that the culture was not for them? You know, I haven't seen that with my daughters very much. I see that at work at times. I, I, I sit in meetings and watch women not always get listened to. A woman will say something, you know, and it's a good idea, and nobody listens. And then, and then a guy says the same thing a couple minutes later, and everybody goes, yeah, that's a great idea. And I'll try and call that out and say, hey, you know, she said this about five minutes ago if we were really listening. Uh, we just weren't listening equally, right? I, I see it more at work than, than with my daughters. Little Intel uh, chant coming from, uh, from downstairs. CS is about to start. Or, yeah. Um, where did you get sensitive to that? Was it something um, in your home growing up? Was it something in school? Was it something that was enhanced getting married, having daughters? What? The whole push on diversity? Yeah, I, I'll or be honest. sensitive in meetings to, to yeah. the dynamics that can sometimes undermine women? Um, it wasn't in growing up. When I, when I grew up, uh, you know, I'll admit, I grew up in a male-dominated, I don't even have a, a girl cousin. Uh, you know, I grew up no women in, in anywhere, right? Uh, there was one African-American uh, boy in my school uh, back then, so there, there wasn't a lot of diversity. But I think it's been, you know, as I've, as I've gotten daughters and as I think about more of them going out into the world, and just then, that causes you to reflect a little bit on the workplace, you know, and, and what are they going to enter into? Uh, and once you do that, you start to see the bigger picture, how Hispanics are sometimes treated, and how African Americans are treated, and how women are treated. And, and then you look at this job. I think, I think when you get a job like the CEO, you have, to, you have to ask yourself two questions. What do I want to do for the company, like technically, right? What do I want to drive? What do I want to imprint? So, so that was easy, right? I had so many ideas. Then you have to ask yourself, but wait a minute, I am a Fortune 50 CEO. I should be able to change the world a little bit. Hmm. Not a lot. And how do I want to do that, right? That's, that's the thing I can give back to the world. The world's, I've been very lucky on this life of mine, right? And so um, I decided to be a bit selfish maybe and say, look, uh, if I can change the world a little bit of technology so that when my daughters, you know, do they have the same chance 
that I did, um, then, then that's a good thing. There are a few things that you've taken up um, as initiatives that you know, might not be obvious. Um, I, I believe the um, materials that are used to make chips, I mean, uh, tell me about some of the things, some of the causes, some of the pushes that you think are important, the little ways that you tried to change the world. Yeah, so we did the conflict minerals that are that are tearing apart the DRC and funding, you know, uh, uh, a civil war in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Um, you know, that was back before I became CEO, even, and and that was a case where, um, you know, I'll be honest, the Enough Group sent an impassioned plea to me, saying, you know, the technology industry is funding this. I don't even think you guys know it. How are they sending that message to you? They send me a letter. I read every letter that comes through my office, right? And, like um, on paper? Yeah, paper letter. And, is that better um, than email? Nah, email is always better, but this one, I think they, they just chose to use uh, paper, and I think it sometimes makes it a little more concrete, right? Because I delete a lot of email. Some of it probably not on purpose, like some, some, somebody has to resend something because I've just been like, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah. But that was a case where I looked at it and said, gosh, we're supposed to be the best supply chain. We had just been ranked by you know, the supply chain uh, organizations as you know, one of the top five supply chains in the world. And I said, gosh, if we're the best, we should be able to solve this problem. It's an engineering problem, how to avoid conflict minerals in our supply chain. So that was more of a, hey, I'm an engineer, and I should be able to solve this for them. Let me go do it. And it does seem like a real social issue. Um, so that's why I took on that one. The diversity one was one more, like I said, it was, you know, I, I think we can set a standard. We can do it the Intel way, right? Rather than throw money at it and say, you know, well, I'm going to go fund a million dollars or $5 million or $500 million. I'm going to commit that I'm going to actually make Intel representative. And, and I'm just going to get it done. And if I have to spend money to do it, I will. And if I, if I don't, I won't. I, I'm just going to make sure I deliver a result. Was there a light bulb moment? Because, I mean, I'm trying to figure out how you got from growing up kind of, it almost sounds like Lord of the Flies, around all <laughs> Yeah, all no, it was, boys, I admit it. One black kid growing up to championing the birth. I mean, something happened somewhere, right? Oh, I think daughters. I mean, again, I think you just, you, you have daughters, you want them to go into the world, you see the workforce that you have, you watch you start to become a little bit more sensitive as you get a little older and you, and you become more of an adult. And um, you know, my wife would sometimes talk to me about what it's like to be a woman in, in, in industry and, and in business. And you just start to put the picture together. And then, and then you get this job and you go, there's my chance. I can go do this. I can be a, 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 a light of change. Now, you came up through the manufacturing side of Intel in large part. And one of the things that's been fascinating to me about that, just how meticulous Intel is as a culture. I mean, these plants, which you guys call fabs, are just identical to each other, right? Like down to yes. practically the millimeter, like in, oh, in how they're- Tighter than a millimeter. Tight. <laughs> yes, <I> mean, <laughs> we know the number of bends in a pipe, uh, everything. But that, that came from a history of failure. So, so I'll give you, I'm one of the poster children for why we did this. We call it copy exactly. Okay. Um, and I wiped out the output of an entire factory for a week. I'm lucky to be employed at Intel sometimes, <laughs> I say. Um, and and um, 
That sounds amazing. How did you do it? So, so we were um, transferring a process from one fab to another fab. And they were literally next door to each other in New Mexico. And, and it was the days before we had to copy exactly. And we had a process that we believed was actually better than the one that was actually running the technology at the time. And if you looked at all the data, if you looked at all the physics, if you looked at everything, it absolutely was better. What we didn't know was when the guys developed this technology, they had a diffusion tube or a, a, a thing that grows oxides that leaked. And if you didn't have that leak, you wiped out everything. <laughs> so we built the technology without a leak. And it was flawlessly better and didn't work. <laughs> and so what we learned from that after, it took us three months to figure out why that didn't work, right? And that these guys had this small leak that in the first three minutes of the process technology. And, and it took us months to go figure that out. And after that, we said, you know what? We're, we don't know what we don't know. We're just going to copy everything to a T to wow. the nth level. So was the leak on purpose? No. It was bad maintenance and bad design from the development group. Didn't matter. It worked for them. And, and now we copy. So what we say is we copy as many good things as mistakes. But we copy. And that's it. Now that's... that's amazing to me. I never heard it explained that way. That's amazing to me because it flies in the face of so many things that we try to do, like don't do it that way because we've always done it that way. In some cases, you have to do it that way because that's how we did it last time. How do you, how do you balance right. copy exactly and Innovation. innovate aggressively? Yes. So here's what we say. Once you get it up and running and working and you've matched 100% to those other factories, you can have a controlled process of innovation. You can start to make changes in a controlled, engineering, meticulous way. But until you're perfectly matched, and you can show us that you can do absolutely an exact, and, and, and it's not only that you know, it, it works, is I mean, down to every little, like, if they have a defect and you don't, you haven't copied. Until you have that defect, you don't do anything else. Figure out how to make that defect. Right? Yeah. And then once you get copied, go at it. Be an engineer. Grow, develop, innovate. Now, how old were you when this, when this went down? Uh, probably about 30, 35. <laughs> Take me into the, the mind, or maybe more important, the gut of 30-year-old Brian <laughs> Krasanich, who has just taken a fab offline for, what, weeks? Yes. Because of, you, don't, you don't know why at this point, but you've got to explain to somebody that this fab that's supposed to be work is not work, like, did you, did you think you were gonna get fired? Who did you have to talk to? How high up did it go? Uh, it went all the way up to the CEO. And uh, my boss at one point walked into my office and said, uh, you have about two more weeks to figure out this issue. And if you don't, I've gotta let you go. Um, and luckily, a friend of mine and I, we, we then, we said, okay, well, we're, we're going to work, you know, until we're just not going to sleep until this we solve this. And then, and then, sure enough, we found the the problem about a week into that uh, two week time period, um, and and everything was okay because people realized 
okay, it wasn't that they did something wrong. There was uh, uh, something to be learned here. Had I just done something wrong, I think they would have said, good job fixing it, now it's time for you to go. <laughs> but luckily, I, it, was, it was truly designed in error. How are you communicating with the higher-ups during this process? Because I'm, I'm guessing people are wanting, if not hourly, pretty frequent communication about what you're finding. Yeah, so I, used to, I had to do twice-a-day emails to, to, to everybody describing exactly what was occurring. Uh, and then every day I had to go in and meet with them and, and lay out everything we'd learned and what was going on, what, what, what was happening, right? what we were going to try next to, to understand the problem. So it was multiple times a day. Those must have been nerve-wracking. Yeah, I didn't, like I said, I literally did not sleep for, for days upon time. I remember going to the factory and you know, three days later going home. Huh. Now, you can't be getting better at presenting as you do this multiple times, multiple days without sleep. What's happening to, to the quality of your communication with the bosses here? Uh, yeah, I, I did notice that uh, everything got a little shorter. Uh, I, I, by the end, I was pretty irritable. And, and uh, if they'd fired me, I probably wouldn't have cared too much. But, <laughs> but in the end, it all worked out, right? So yeah, sometimes really I, think, I think careers are built on as much luck. And you know, they talk about you're being at the right place at the right time and a um, uh, certain amount of luck. So there was bad luck there, right? I mean, definitely I, I, I got caught in you know, a, a massive learning. On the other hand, I became the, one of the poster children and uh, advocates of the whole way Intel does manufacturing now. And so what I always tell people is it's not how deep the hole is that you're in at any one point. This is the lesson I learned. It's whether you dig down or up. Uh, and I just kept trying to dig up. I just kept trying to solve the problem, and then once I'd solved it, I didn't, I didn't get mad or frustrated or say, look, it's those guys' fault. I said, look, the, you know, I took the learnings and said, this is how we have to change. Uh, and my boss actually then, who uh, was, became a great friend of mine, you know, became the spearhead of it as well, and, and um, it, just, it just flew through the company then. So I'm trying to pick through this because I think there are a lot of great lessons for people. I'm, I'm guessing that on the other side of this incident, your relationships within the company were probably better, that people might have trusted you more because of how you handled it. Absolutely. What are, what are the tools to transform what's potentially a massive failure into something that helps you? Was there something in your temperament? Was there something in your process? Yeah, and I did learn some lessons, and I've, I've tried to transfer this to my, my daughters, and I teach this to people at work every day. Um, one is, is don't become defensive. Defensive is the first thing in digging down versus up, right? Just accept the problem and, and start working on it. Two, ask for help. I went, and, and I think this is something that's propelled me through my career, I've never been afraid to ask for help. There's always somebody smarter than you. There's always somebody who knows how to do something better than you. Uh, in this case, I asked for help from a great friend of mine, Tim Crowley. He came, he helped, he worked on the problem just as hard as I did. And I'd argue, you know, he was more instrumental in solving the problem than I was uh, in the long run, right? And then, and then third, um, you know, really carry those learnings and, um, and really role model how, how you then communicate to the rest of the organization about what you learned, right? Be, not be afraid to show that you're learning. And I try and do this even as a CEO. Here's the mistake I made, here's what I learned, and here's how I'm going to be different tomorrow. And I've walked in front of all of Intel and said, uh, here's a mistake I've learned. 
here's what I've learned from that mistake, and, and here's how we're going to run the company differently moving forward. Uh, to this day, I carry that forward. Huh. And defensiveness, I mean, have you seen people who are maybe in a similar position to where you were, where maybe it wasn't entirely their fault, or maybe it was, but seeing them basically dig down and shoot themselves in the foot yep. by flying off the handle? Or? And that gets back to that saying about, I fired more people for being difficult to work with or, or not really participating with the team than, than being dumb. These were some of the smartest people and they stuck to their, you know, if I just stuck to this process is better and just sat there and tried to prove how much better this technology was, I would have never solved the problem. What I had to say was, okay, I don't care if it's better or not. I got to figure out why this thing doesn't work. What's different between these two places? And we just started taking it apart. Tim and I took it apart, not by bolt, by screw, by everything. Uh, and we luckily found this problem. Can you train less defensive or is it a personality trait? I mean, I'd tell you there's more personality trait, and it's probably how kids or people grew up. I mean, my wife has trained me to be a little less defensive. <laughs> yeah, that, that happens to all of us. <laughs> um, but I think, uh, I, I don't know, I, I think you can make, uh, I do believe people can change and people can grow, but I also think there's a certain amount of bias. I, I, you know, there's a lot of studies that say you, you learn most of your traits and behaviors in the first five years of your life. And, and I do believe in that. And um, uh, so I, I do believe that it's, it's easier when you've got that upbringing and you have that kind of just in your DNA than, 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 than if you don't. But you can always make adjustments and, and improve. What time do you wake up? What are the things that you do on a regular basis that help you to operate at Optimum? Uh, I wake up about 5 a.m., turn on CNBC and watch you guys. Of course. Uh, Love just because I, I, I'm going to get a, I'm going to get a, it's the best place where you absolutely get uh, unbiased, just a, a quick snapshot of the work environment. So I know, you know, is there something going on? Did, did, did uh, you know, something happen in China or, you know, in the U.S. or, or whatever? And then I go and answer my emails jump in the shower and get to work. I'm usually at work before 7 o'clock uh, as a result. Um, you know, I'm energized because here's what I do. During the day, I always try and find some meeting where I'm going to sit down with engineers and we're going to talk about how we're going to build something cool, something that excites me. So Project Alloy, our head, you know, uh, hands-free uh, VR system, I mean, I met every other week with those guys. Just, okay, here's how we're going to go build that. Um, the credit card PC that we showed uh, at CES here uh, is, is something I'd worked for over a year on with the engineers. Uh, and then I'm always trying to, uh, uh, they always have to bring new products. So I've been wearing the new New Balance watch for probably four months now. Mm. Uh, giving them feedback, testing it out. And so I always look for something during the day that, that is engineering oriented that excites me. Then I can get through all the finance meetings and the HR meetings and the you know, other stuff that I have to do. Then when I come home, I spend some time with my kids and then I spend some time on something I'm trying to build or do or, or whatever. And, it, and it's varied. I mean, I, I frustrate my wife because the projects, I'll come home one day and go, we're building this. Um, and she'll just kind of go, wow. Okay, uh, 
Uh, and so whether it's, you know, I've taught myself how to weld over the last couple of years and I've been building projects out of metal. Uh, like, I, what are you, what are you welding at home? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I built furniture. I, uh, uh, I, we just, uh, I, I went and got an antique uh, ski lift chair and we just uh, welded up a complete frame to hold the ski lift chair that's now in our yard and so when we want to go out and sit on a swing, it's a ski lift chair that's hung from a, a metal pole that looks kind of like a ski lift uh, <laughs> area, right? So it's just, it's just whatever it is to get the creative juices flowing. The time has zipped by. I got one thing that I have to ask you because the way you got the CEO job was absolutely fascinating to me because it was sort of, in a way, out of left field to team up with somebody in order to make a presentation. So what can you give us just the takeaway from that process and that experience? Intel did a really broad search that was very heavily covered and the answer came from the inside. So um, I think that's another case where you're going to do what it takes, being non-defensive and, and, and non-self-centered um, uh, maybe. It was more important to me that it was an insider because I felt like Anybody from the outside would slow the company down. Even if they were better, it would take them two years to learn how Intel works and to figure out how to make Moore's Law happen and, and to create things that before they could understand how to go create things like Project Alloy or you know, rack scale architecture in the data center. But I didn't want the company slowed down by that. And so I was willing to do whatever it took to have an insider, even if that wasn't me or if it was a group of us. I was gonna figure out a way. And so by partnering, I figured that it was the best chance. Two of us could beat one outsider. Uh, and that was the approach we took. That's why. My thanks to Intel CEO Brian Krasanich. Intel stock, by the way, is trading near 15-year highs since he took over as CEO more than three years ago. I'm John Fort from CNBC, and this has been Fort Knox, Rich Ideas and Powerful People. Subscribe on iTunes, Apple's podcast app, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts are distributed. I'd really appreciate you leaving a review if you enjoyed this. And please check out Fort Knox live on Facebook, Twitter, and Periscope, usually Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern. There, I tackle the biggest business and economic issues of the week with a little help from my friends at CNBC and from you. Next week, ever wonder what it takes to make it in Hollywood? Well, I'll bring you a conversation with a guy who plays Butch Gilzine on the hit show Gotham. That also happens to be back for the last half of its season next week. Now, uh, he wasn't born with the right connections and didn't go to the right school to make it in Hollywood, but Drew Powell has done it anyway, and his methods can teach the rest of us a thing or two about making it in our careers. Meanwhile, share this, tell a friend, drop me a note on Facebook, Twitter, or fortknox.com. That's F-O-R-T-T-K-N-O-X.com. You can stream previous episodes of this podcast and read the write-ups I've done on them as well. And as always, thank you for lending an ear. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.